So what term we use to describe all this stuff actually matters a lot. I used fake news in my piece, but then I ended up writing like four pages on why the term fake news is stupid because it's neither fake nor news. <laughs> the problem is that we don't really have good terms in general. During the week of November 13th, 2016, the search term fake news became five times more popular on Google than the week before in the United States. And as we know, that was just the beginning of using that short phrase to label some big issues. Politicians, journalists, business owners, and tech giants alike have been talking about the fake news problem for years now. So what is it and who's behind this? Welcome to Well Said, the official podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So I've shared fake news before. This is Alice Marwick. You can literally have a PhD in media studies and be studying fake news and still be a fake news sharer. doesn't mean that you're dumb. It's just the entire ecosystem is set up to make sharing totally frictionless. Yep. She has a PhD in media studies. She's also the co-founder of Carolina's Center for Information Technology and Public Life. And you heard that right. She shared fake news. And as Alice said, it's easier than ever to share information, fake or not, thanks to social media. But let's be honest with ourselves for a second. Sharing news or rumors isn't a brand new concept. There's a couple of different motivations people have for spreading false content. The most common is they just want to make money. They'll put any sensational content out there as long as somebody will click on it. So... Think about a predecessor, like the Weekly World News, these supermarket tabloids that would have like Hillary Clinton adopts an alien baby or, you know, Elvis is alive and living in a bunker in Montana. Those are the kind of stories now that you can stick on your garbage, supposedly satirical website and you can stick a bunch of like ads on that and sponsors and you can make a lot of money just by spreading these kind of viral stories through Facebook. Cash is king, right? But selling advertisement spots on totally unbelievable stories that get a lot of web traffic isn't the only reason why fake stories are created and then distributed online. It's because some writers actually don't think it's fake at all. They have like a very strong ideological belief and they're trying to persuade people to their point of view. So that's when you might think of people like anti-vaxxers, climate change deniers, flat earthers. They're very invested in their point of view and they might actually believe that the content that they're spreading is true. Like an anti-vaxxer, unless they're incredibly cynical and opportunistic, probably really does believe that there's something bad about vaccinations and they want to spread that. But we never know the intent of most things that people create online. So on one hand, you have these ideologically driven people, you have sort of national or transnational movements, right? Like you might have like a religious movement or an extremist movement. Um, and then on the other hand, you have people who are in it for the money and are just, they're not interested in the disorder, they're just interested in how much money they can make off of it. So the problem is that this creates this perfect storm or this like bubbling cauldron of a stew that puts us in a very bad position when it comes to trying to ascertain fact from fiction. What we do know is there's a lot of empirical research that needs to be done in this area. So to that end, here at UNC, myself and three of my colleagues, uh, Daniel Kreese, Dean Freeland, and Zainab Tufeki, 
have founded a new research center called the Center for Information Technology and Public Life. And we want to really put a lot of these questions under the microscope and create empirical data that helps us answer some of the questions around what do we do? What's the best way to solve these problems? For many Americans, fake news is immediately associated with politics, specifically the presidential election in 2016. Just as the term started to pick up steam, some journalists started to wonder, where is all this false information coming from? At the beginning of the 2016 election, a lot of the hyperpartisan news outlets or the really viral news outlets were basically just trying to capitalize on public attention around the election. So Craig Silverman at BuzzFeed has done a series of stories trying to chronicle sort of when this phenomenon began. And he found that there were a group of young people in Macedonia, of all places, who were creating news sites that were pro-Hillary, pro-Trump, and pro-Sanders. And they were basically just, it was just hyper-partisan garbage. Like, let's take whatever the story of the day is and throw it through this, like, heavily partisan, very biased lens And let's just churn a bunch of stuff about how great our candidate is and how terrible the other candidates are. And what he found was that none of them were successful except for the pro-Trump ones. Wait, what? There was a lot of political tension here in the U.S. between those three candidates right around the time these articles were coming out. But the pro-Trump stories were shared and viewed more often? Once this was realized, more and more hyperbolic and hyperpartisan conservative news was being created. There's a study that came out of Harvard maybe two years ago where they looked at the type of news content that people of different political beliefs consumed. What they found was that people on the left and the center were mostly consuming stuff like CBS, NBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post. You know, if they're slightly more conservative, they're maybe reading The Wall Street Journal. If they're slightly more liberal, maybe they're listening to NPR. Um, And even on the far, far left, where you're getting stuff like Mother Jones and The New Yorker, you're not necessarily getting stuff that's just made up out of whole cloth. Alice says that those outlets she listed adhere to basic and traditional journalistic norms. They fact-check their sources and are dedicated to sharing true information with their readers. But the Harvard study Alice is talking about revealed something interesting about people looking for equally trusted news sources on the right. On the right, you saw people who were consuming Fox News and then a bunch of stuff to the right of Fox News. And once you get to the right of Fox News, you're looking at stuff like Drudge, Breitbart, Infowars, The Daily Caller, Gateway Pundit. And the further you get to the right, the more ridiculous and less based in truth these sites get. Now, that's not to say that there isn't misinformation on the left. We have sites like Occupy Democrats, which do the exact same thing. They put a bunch of garbage conspiracy theories and hoaxes and whatnot. But they're not as popular and there's not as many of them. They just don't have as much uptake. And that's because if you're on the left, you have a lot of really high-quality mainstream sources to choose from. And if you're on the right, you just don't. Despite the unbalanced number of truthful news sources on both sides of the political spectrum— Fake news is still a problem, no matter where the reader falls. So, of course, my question for Alice was, why do people share those stories at all? The main reason that people share fake news stories is the same reason they share anything on social media, to give you a sense of who they are and to broadcast their identity to the world. 
So the same way you might choose a pop song that you like or a YouTube video you think is funny or you might put your Instagram profile together very carefully or your Tinder bio to try to reflect a certain sense of who you are, you share news stories that you think communicate something about yourself. So for most people, it doesn't really matter whether the news story is true or false. It's the message behind the news story that they're trying to communicate to everybody. Like Alice said, social media makes it easier for us to share stories we find online. And when a headline matches up with our personal beliefs, many of us are compelled to post it to our social media accounts. And these stories can be about anything. Fake news isn't always tied to politics. So what term we use to describe all this stuff actually matters a lot. I used fake news in my piece, but then I ended up writing like four pages on why the term fake news is stupid because it's neither fake nor news. <laughs> like there's some misinformation that is accurate content that's decontextualized or it's reframed in a way to make it misleading. And there's plenty of disinformation that has nothing to do with news like anti-vaccine, climate change, et cetera. The problem is that we don't really have good terms in general. Um, the most popular terms right now are probably disinformation and misinformation, but those terms hinge on the intent of the creator. So disinformation is information that's strategically incorrect, whereas misinformation is information that's unintentionally incorrect. So a newspaper printing somebody's name wrong and then issuing a retraction would be misinformation. Whereas, you know, if my political opponent is running for office and I want to smear her and put out a story about how she's like, you know, a secret member of a shadowy political organization, that's disinformation. No matter what researchers decide to call it, these stories all go back to the intent of the writer. Are they trying to intentionally mislead readers or are they sharing what they believe to be true? If I'm very, very right wing and I'm really like anti-immigration and I write a long article about my immigration views, which may have information in it that's contested, not necessarily incorrect, but the kind of political information that is political precisely because people argue over it. For example, like, does the minimum wage hurt job growth, right? Like, that's not a neutral piece of information. Then is that fake news? Like, no, that's just political partisan content. And so I really worry when we start thinking about, you know, censoring fake news or taking out fake news. Like, you don't want to get political content and people's political views wrapped up in that because that's highly protected content under the First Amendment. Aside from thinking about things like the goal of the writer when we see articles online— Alice suggests one big piece of advice to help stop the spread of false information. Rather than looking at the story, look at the source. Professional fact checkers look at sources more than they look anything else. If it's from a source that's committed to credibility, like NPR, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, it's probably credible. But there is also a difference between editorials and hard news. If it's from some site you've never heard of, that doesn't necessarily mean it's incorrect, but it means you should be a lot more suspicious. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Well Said. Alice and other Carolina researchers are investigating this and other important topics through the Center for Information, Technology, and Public Life. If you want to see the questions they're investigating, visit their website at citap.unc.edu. Do you have an idea for an episode of Well Said? You can send us a tweet at UNC or shoot us an email at wellsaid@unc.edu. at Well Said is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
So we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. See you next week.